Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for spending time today with me. Maybe you listen on the podcast, so always glad to have you uh, check things out at myfaithradio.com. Makes me very happy. And today I'm going to talk about the Beatitudes for the whole hour. And I'm very excited because Dr. Roger Parrott is my guest. He's the president of Bellhaven University in Jackson, Mississippi. And I love Bellhaven's uh, verse of the year, which is Matthew 7 verse 24. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. So we're going to be building a house on solid rock today, talking about the Beatitudes. Roger, welcome. Well, thank you, Bill. It's a treat to be with you. Thank you so much. I I appreciate that. You sounded so sincere when you said that, too, which I, I really like. Well, it's really true, because <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed the other times I've been with you, and, and I've been looking forward to being back. I know. Uh, I feel the same nice way. Thing. It's kind of a love fest right now. I like that. So I love the Beatitudes, and I know that uh, you've got a lot of teaching to do today, and I want to do a lot of listening and note-taking, so this is a perfect relationship between the two of us today and the, <laughs> and the listeners. You're, you're too kind. Well, I'm, I'm so glad you started with that verse of the year because it's been a tradition through all the years uh, I've been a university president, which is 34, to have a verse of the year. I love that. And um, each year, kind of, kind of anticipating what's ahead. And every year, that verse has become a surprise because God said something we didn't expect. But really wanted to focus this year on, on the storms that seem to be rising all around us. And we're all feeling it, whatever. It's not just higher ed, uh, Christian higher ed. It's everywhere. And so I wanted to do something. And, and Jesus gives this wonderful summary of the entire Sermon on the Mount when he says, you know, if you hear my words and do it, you are wise like a person who builds on a rock, and you'll stand up to the tests and the storms that come. And if you hear it and don't do it, you are foolish, mm-hmm. and of course the house will crumble. Well, the the big issue is, do we, we hear God's word, but so often we don't do it. And so as we got into this school year, I started digging into this Sermon on the Mount with students and, and really discovered, for me, a fresh look at the whole thing. Well, all right. That's a great tease. Let's get into some of the meat of what you were finding. Well, you know, this Sermon on the Mount, I think, I think a lot of, especially, again, explain to students, they don't, they don't understand. It was probably a two-day event, um, and it was over, you know, you know, and Jesus taught in this way that people could memorize because they, they couldn't write it down and, and did it in that way. And so you, you have Matthew who recorded it, the tax collector recorded in this great detail, and, and then Luke records it as well, but he's kind of the big picture as the doctor. And, but when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, those those three chapters in Matthew, I think the whole thing is summarized in the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is just an explanation of the Beatitudes. So the Beatitudes are the sermon, and then the rest of it is kind of illustrations of how this gets lived out. Mm-hmm. And, and and it really, to me, is pretty fascinating to see because it's, it you know, Jesus says, well, bless her those who do this and those who do that. And, and a lot of us don't even understand what that means. And I think to, to 
to be blessed in this context is is to be approved. To, to be, Jesus says, you know, I value you. I approve you. I, you know, the the things I value are the things I want you to value. And then, and then he, with that, he also brings us this happiness. It's it, a joy. I, I think Christians can only have joy. It's not about being doing happy things it's right. about a settled joy in us and then and then it's a congratulation so you've got this blessed context for each of these eight beatitudes so i was starting to get into that and figure out how in the world do i explain this to students and uh, in our chapel and i was doing a little reading and and somewhere i saw something that said uh, something about uh, climbing the ladder of the Beatitudes. I'd never thought of that concept before. I'd never thought about the Beatitudes really being interlinked the way they are before and how they each build on each other. So I started looking around, and, and I couldn't find anything that, that that's written about the Beatitudes as a ladder concept. But And if anybody's got it, please send it to me. I'd love to see it. But so we started to develop this idea of a ladder of fulfillment. And, you know, college students are always focused on the ladder of success, but success doesn't bring anything if you're not fulfilled in Christ. And so this ladder of fulfillment, what are the steps? And as I got into this study, you realize that these steps are all interrelated, and you have to take them in order. And and if you don't work through this, isn't like the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, we kind of pull out one and we focus on it, and this one we we like, and this one we grin and bear it. Now, the, you know, with the with the Beatitudes, it's you've got to build them on in order because each one prepares you for the next step. So the night before I'm ready to start the first chapel on this, I thought, how do I explain this to students? And I went out in the garage and I had a an eight foot ladder. And I thought, I'm going to take that thing and, and put it on stage. <laughs> and, and they called our stage manager. Fortunately, we had one. So I drug this <laughs> ladder out, out on stage, and I started talking through the Beatitudes. And on each one, I'd go up one rung of the ladder <laughs> until it got kind of scary up high. Uh, but But they really do build on each other in a pretty remarkable way because you start on this first rung of the ladder. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And everything in our Christian life has to start there. That that the realization that we are absolutely nothing without God. We are poor in spirit. We are we are without anything. It's it's not about uh, material things. It's about there is no spirit in us. There's nothing in us without God. But when God fills us, what He does is gives us the kingdom of heaven. So we go from this completely spiritual bankrupt to He says we're blessed when we understand that. In other words, we're happy, we're accepted, we're congratulated. And and it's nothing we work to achieve, of course, because it's all by grace. So this kingdom of God comes to us at the first rung of the ladder. I mean, we, we kind of, you know, get the whole thing right at the beginning. When you step up on that first rung of the ladder, when you're broken in spirit, you're poor in spirit. You, you just realize there's nothing without God. And then you step up and you get the kingdom of, of heaven. And and then you go to the next rung of the ladder, and it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Well, why do we mourn? We mourn because when we realize we we are poor in spirit, we're broken without God, we mourn for our sin. And we see the the, the dramatic contrast between 
our who we are and our brokenness and our sin and the holiness of God and who he is. And so as I was explaining this to student, I'm up on the second step of this ladder now uh, talking about this because you first got to have be, uh, be understand that you're nothing without God. And then when you move up, you understand how broken you are because of that. And and I tried to explain, you know, and, and the first students especially today, sin is an interesting concept because uh, we don't talk about it in the right way. So I was trying to explain it to him. And I said, you know, sin is breaking the heart of the one who loves you the most. And and they understand breaking the heart of a parent or breaking the heart of a grandparent because they did something that that just disappointed them so much. But that's really what we're doing with God when we sin. We break his heart because he designed us for so much more, and we settle for sin. And But then he says, when you are broken like that, when you mourn, when, you, when, it, when it hurts because you realize how broken you are, you will be comforted. I will forgive you. I will love you. I want the best for you. You know, so so here we are just kind of starting from nothing, and then we get the kingdom of God, and we get this wonderful comfort in this brokenness. And then we move up to the to the next uh, uh, rung of the ladder, up on the third one. So it says, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. And uh, And why are we humble? Well, you can't help but be humble when we, on the rung one, we see our need for God. We move up on rung two and we see our sin. How can we not be humble when we realize that God has forgiven us and he's given us the kingdom of heaven? He's comforted us in our sin and he's going to let us inherit the earth, which is eternal life as he, as he restores this earth. Mm-hmm. And so how can we help but be comforted, and, and, excuse me, be humble? And, and, and that's where the Christian life really takes off because, you know, the world values money and power, but that's all focused on pride. You can't achieve that without pride. The kingdom focuses on eternity, which is, which is built on humility. You can't achieve eternity without humility. And so this wonderful contrast I think we get from the Beatitudes when we when we walk up these first three steps of the ladder, poor in spirit, and then we've got the mourning for the brokenness of our sin, and then we're just humble that we're even standing on the third rung of the ladder when we realize where we've come from, and in that God gives us eternal life. And that's really those first three steps of the Beatitudes are really the plan of salvation. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, we are saved and accepted into God's uh, presence, and then we start to move up in the Christian life as we get up further on the rungs of the ladder to really the fulfillment of what we're called to do. All right. That is a great place to uh, take a pause. Dr. Roger Parrott is my guest, and we're talking about the Beatitudes. And when you he- talk about blessed are the poor in spirit— you know, if you're not part of God's family and you blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, doesn't sound very good, does it? It doesn't sound good if you don't understand the context that's of what I why mean. we're poor in spirit. That's why, and... I, that's why I have you to uh, make sense of it. 
Thank you. Well, you know, th- th- I've been reading these scriptures for years, and I've never seen the Beatitudes in this interlinked way before. Yeah. And it's really brought a fresh understanding to me of God's plan for our lives. So right before we go to break here, Roger, let me ask you this. Is the Beatitudes, is this a description of eight different kinds of people or eight characteristics of one person? No, eight characteristics. It's a growing of one person. Awesome. It's what we're all called to do. We all begin at that lowest rung of the ladder, and then we go up and up and up. And as we, as we, after the break, we'll talk about how this unfolds in the Christian life. But I think this is the calling of all of us to be part of this. This is, again, you don't pull the Beatitudes out. I'll be this one. I'll be this one. I'll be a peacemaker. I'll be merciful. It doesn't work that way at all. They're all interrelated. I can't wait. After the break, we'll continue with Dr. Roger Parrott as we're discussing the Beatitudes. If you don't know where that is, you can find that in the book of Matthew in chapter 5. We'll be right back. The hope, truth, and help you get every day through this podcast is all made possible through support from listeners like you. We are in the middle of our spring fundraiser right now. Give a gift to keep the message of the gospel going out around the world. Follow the giving link in the show notes or visit MyFaithRadio.com today. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance. I don't know what kind of day you've had, but I'm glad you joined me. And we're talking to Dr. Roger Parrott, P-A-R-R-O-T-T. He's the president of Bellhaven University in Jackson, Mississippi. He's been doing that job for 34 years, and we're talking about the Beatitudes today. We're walking through this uh, and trying to climb the ladder of fulfillment and Roger, you really laid the foundation well. Those first three verses bring you to a place of of spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? You will be comforted if you arrive at that place. And when you are humble, uh, you understand your place. Exactly. And those those first three steps really prepare us for for the unleashing of God's strength and power and grace in our lives. And uh, but I think too many Christians stop there. They go to those first three steps, and then they kind of just just kind of hang out there, like, okay, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed, and and they don't push higher. And I think the reason they don't push higher is it's scary when you get up on that fourth step. And and I had I got the real I, I didn't plan to talk about that in chapel, but you know I had this eight foot ladder up on a on a six foot high stage. And once I got up on that fourth rung, I mean, I was really up high. It, it, it did get a little scary. And I said, you know, it's scary up here. And, and I said, and that's what the Christian life is, because it is, because the next one says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Yeah. And um, and so now we're looking to the, to the living out of the Christian life when we get on that fourth rung. Yeah. And, and 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 I think where a lot of people get off on this wrong place in this one is it says, "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not blessed are those who are righteous." And so, if you're 
if you're waiting till you are righteous to so go higher, you're never going to go anyplace. It's the wanting to. It's the desire. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like, I mean, I want to eat healthy. I, re- I really do. I really try, and then I don't. And uh, sometimes. <laughs> but uh, I-, I love that Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So, you know, but the wanting to, as long as I want to, I'm going to advance in more healthy eating. As long as you want righteousness, even though you don't do it perfectly all the time, Jesus promises you will be filled. I'll bring righteousness into your life as long as you want it. And and it, that's what draws us to God. And, and And I think there are too many people who kind of they're satisfied with those first three steps and then after that they're kind of kind of plotting how to not be so righteous mm. <laughs> you know yeah and, and 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 then their lives get all messed up and they don't understand well i tried to be a christian it didn't work out no that th- we've got to want to draw closer to god so you don't have to be perfect you don't have to beat yourself up when you when you eat the ice cream or you or you miss you know as long as we're thirsty and hunger for and thirsty and hungry i think is a a metaphor Jesus uses on purpose, which thirst and hunger is every day, multiple times a day. Mm-hmm. That, that's not a, you know, I'll, I'll do righteousness next week. No, it's like all the time, this needs to be on my mind. How yeah. do I become more righteous? So so we're up on that fourth step. Okay, and, hang on just and, a second, Roger, because yeah. I got I to gotta pause here just for a sec, because I, let, I have to let listeners know that you brought an eight-foot ladder to chapel, and you're starting to climb up the stairs of this eight-foot ladder, showing the ladder to fulfillment. And there must have been some talk going on in chapel, like Dr. Parrott's lost his mind. We don't have insurance for this. What is he thinking? Um, <laughs> because, yeah, they were getting nervous for me. And I, I they were. start to head toward the platform trying to hold the ladder for me, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. And, and, and I've never preached on a ladder in my life. Yeah, <laughs> this is a I, new one. I'm getting nervous just hearing this story. Just so you know, oh, so, it, it was it was so, and it, I mean, it, it brought all of us, not just just them, but it brought my attention to it in a fresh way to physically do it, to go up that ladder. And so, yeah, so we're in chapel, and we're up on a on the uh, got to the fourth rung. And um, and again, I was only up there for a second because I said that's going to be next week. And then I realized <laughs> it really was pretty scary. Yeah. So the next week, I said, you know, I need a volunteer. And of course, a bunch of hands went up, and I said, no, your your mothers will sue me if you break your leg. So uh, I brought out our, our mascot, which is a cardboard cutout, and I put him on the ladder. So he went up higher. Oh, that makes uh, sense. Physically, it was a little scary. But you go up; the farther you go up, the scarier it does get in the Christian life, because the next one is blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy now this one is not just a desire righteousness is a desire you don't always have to hit it mercy you actually got to do you got to execute and we don't get as many opportunities for mercy as we do to seek righteousness but you know mercy is really at the core of the christian life because everybody wants mercy but but we are called to give mercy. I think God is calling us to be just as passionate about being merciful to others as we would be in seeking it for ourselves. So if any of us have done anything where we want mercy, and, and maybe our kids, we need mercy for our kids because they messed up something at school or whatever, and we're pleading for mercy, well, we should be as passionate about mercy for others as we are 
for ourselves. And, and, and mercy, of course, is not deserved. Uh, you don't give mercy because somebody, somebody earned it. Um, but I think when we can find that level of mercy because we're seeking righteousness, then we begin to see how we can be passionate about mercy. And, uh, you know, I challenged the students. I said, for one week, look for opportunities to show mercy. Just for one week. You don't always have to do it. Just look for opportunities, and you'll be surprised how many opportunities you get. Mm. So so that, you know, so now we're getting up in the Christian life in, in some pretty rarefied air because you go up to the next one, and it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Whoa. Well, you know, um, it's getting serious now because now it's calling for purity of heart. And from there you can see God. First of all, you're up pretty high. And, and the only reason we can see God at that point is that we have sought righteousness. And the right, because of seeking righteousness, we can be merciful. And when we are merciful, that brings a purity of heart. So in other words, I think it's all about our motives. If our motives are pure, if our motives are really to honor God, then it can be all about forgiveness because our ego goes out of the picture. Our needs go out of the picture, and we can really do what Jesus calls us to do because, you know, I mean, Jesus is pretty clear. He said, if you forgive those who sin against if, – if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others – your, have, your father will not forgive you. So climbing to this rung of mercy in the Beatitudes and the latter fulfillment really isn't an option. This is where we've got to be. Mm. I mean, we've got to stand up there. And, and it's scary because you're coming up. I mean, the first three rungs, those are, those are kind of redeeming us and pulling us out of, the, of who we are. And then you start to get into a godly life. In, in the in the hunger and thirst for righteousness and the mercy. And now when you're seeking purity of heart and you can really see God, that's when we can start to live out what God's called us to do in forgiveness. Because And he says it's really not an option. you got to do this. this. This is not a choice. It's not forgive when it's comfortable, not forgive when it's easy. It's, it's forgive because this is what is expected if you are going to be forgiven. Mm. Roger, I'm a little stuck on blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And your comment about are you as quick to try to offer mercy as you are wanting to receive it, that's a very challenging thought you laid on the table. Well, you know, I mean, I deal with college students, and they come in at the end of the semester, please, I messed up, please help me get, you know, couldn't the faculty member please make an exception, whatever, and, and they want mercy, and I get it, I understand it, I was in college too, I've been down that path, you know, it's been a few years, but, you know, if we could all be as seeking of mercy for others as much as we are for ourselves, I mean, think what we'd be different like in the church. Think how the church would be received in the world. Think of what good, yeah. good we could do if we really would. And, and I think that's what Jesus is demanding. Mm-hmm. All right, let me take a little break. We'll continue with Dr. Roger Parrott. We're talking about the Beatitudes today, and you can find that in the book of Matthew, chapter 5 through 7. But we're focusing on the eight characteristics that Jesus talks about. If you have a question or a comment, Text line is always open, 877-933-2484. We'd be more than happy to try to answer your question. We'll be right back. 
You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arnold. If you just join me. My guest loves God's Word, and it shows Dr. Roger Parrott is my guest. He is the president at Bellhaven University in Jackson, Mississippi. We're talking about the Beatitudes, and the verse of the year at Bellhaven is, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. That's the verse of the year. And, Roger, you're doing such a great job of taking the Sermon on the Mount and putting it into segments and context and giving us uh, so much great counsel and wisdom on this passage. So thank you for doing that. Before we move on, though, let me just go back to the th- the third one, blessed are the humble. In the NIV, it says blessed are the meek. And I think every time people hear the word meek, they don't know quite what that means. Yeah, they really don't. I think that's a very misunderstood word, which is why I use I use humble uh, sure. instead. I think it's just a, a, probably a clear translation. Uh, but but I think it comes back to this issue of pride. Um, you know, the if 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 pride is the center of your life, you know, it, you don't come across as as meek or humble. Uh, and if and if service, if uh, humility is the center of your life, then you do. And so I think that's probably the better measure than the 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 meek. It sounds like we're standing in the corner, scared to death to to engage. And I, I think that's a total misunderstanding of of how it is. And you know, and, uh, one of the things about the Beatitudes is that people have memorized them so long, and and people have memorized them in translations that are, are not quite as accurate because uh, they're older translations. And so I think that word humble probably hits a little stronger. All right. So Jesus is saying these words, and I'm hearing him say, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If I'm in the audience that day, what do I understand that to mean? I think it probably scares you to death. Yeah, at the does. same time, excites you. Because oh. uh, how do you be pure in heart? And you right. realize you can't be. Um, and, um, you know, uh, so there's this call to a level of living that you didn't even think was possible. Um, and so, you know, the kind of the first three rungs of this ladder kind of redeem us. And the next three rungs of the ladder uh, prepare us. Uh, and 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 when you get that purity in heart, that doesn't mean you are perfect, uh, but there's a purity of heart because you are um, seeking righteousness and because you're merciful. Then your assumptions about other people's motives fall away, and yeah. that's what we're trying to get to: is where do you start being hard, being kind to everybody in in your heart rather than judgmental and harsh and and wanting to control. Yeah. Which really puts us onto the next rung of the ladder, which and, is blessed and, are the peacemaker. Yeah. And before we jump there, Roger, just because I know a lot of people climbed in their car and they're going, whoa, 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 what are what are these what are these these beatitudes again? So let's just for a quick review, we can make this sixty seconds. The first three are the rescue redemption part. Right. And right. blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, because when you are broken and poor in spirit, you will mourn and be comforted. And blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. And that's the, the rescue phase. Right. And then exactly. the, next, the next three are what again? 
The next three are then preparing us for Christian service, which is hunger and thirst for righteousness. So we don't we don't have to be righteous, but we have to want it. We have to keep working toward it. And then be merciful because you'll be shown mercy. The only way you can be merciful is to want righteousness so you see the need for mercy in other people, even when they don't deserve it. And then that brings us to this purity of heart, which we have once we start to show mercy in the way God shows mercy to us. And then at that point, we start to see God and start to see the world through God's eyes. And then that opens up you know, the the next critical step of this ladder uh, to be a peacemaker. Okay. Um, so so let, let's talk about yeah, being so, peacemakers. So we're going up to rung number seven. And, you know, if you've ever been on an eight-foot ladder, don't don't stand there. It's not safe. Uh, <laughs> so it's pretty scary yeah. on rung seven, unless you're hanging on to something. So you better hang on to the Lord at that point. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So if we want to be an extension of who God is, be his children, be part of his family, represent him, do things in his name, we're to be a peacemaker. That's what this is all about, is to be a peacemaker. And peacemakers are the people who change the world, whether that be in uh, a, for a country, between countries, or in a country, or a business, or a, a church, or their own family. It's the peacemakers who make the difference. But it's risky that high up on the ladder. Uh, you got to check those motives first, which is, I think, is why we go through these steps of, of seeking righteousness and mercy and pure in heart. Because our, if our motives are not pure and trying to be a peacemaker, we're not going to be. Uh, but when we can get those motives pure, then we're about not making conflict. And part of peacemaking is just not making conflict. But too often we go around and we and we make conflict. So so peacemaking is avoiding that, but it's bringing people together, not dividing people. Mm-hmm. And you know, in in my work at the university, we're always looking at what brings people together instead of what divides. You know, and and um, and some people like this sororities and fraternities, but we don't do them because the reason I don't like them is because they divide. They don't bring people together. And sure, they do lots of good things and all that kind of stuff. And I understand that, but there are also big problems with them. But but they divide. I don't want to be part of the things that divide. I want to be part of the things that unite people together. And so I think when we get to this level of peacemaking, it really pulls on us to avoid the temptation to define other people's motives. Because a lot of what um, causes conflict is we're assigning or assuming motives in others that may or may not be true. And when we do, it divides us, it makes us confrontational, it, it pulls us apart. And, and, and Jesus is calling us to a level of peacemaking that represents him as children of God. So we have to be a peacemaker in the way Jesus would want to be a peacemaker if we're going to be part of his family. And again, you can't do that. You can't just, That's why the Beatitudes to me are so interesting because they're so interlinked. You can't just pull this one out and say, well, I'm going to be a peacemaker. It doesn't work that way. You have got to go up each rung of the ladder in order, in order to have the purity of heart so you really can be a peacemaker. And, and, and I think much of what puts us in conflict is trivial. And if Christians would get rid of 
all that stuff and be peacemakers, we would have an influence uh, across the world that we couldn't imagine. Um, but it's but it it's only safe to be that kind of a peacemaker if you're seeking righteousness, if you embrace mercy, if you're pulling pure in heart. But even with that, you're still going to be misunderstood, which is the top rung of the ladder. And, and, you know, don't definitely stand on the top of an eight-foot ladder. There's nothing to hang on to other than the Lord. But the top of the ladder says, the last of these Beatitudes says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So you work your Christian life all the way up to get to the very pinnacle of the top, and what comes? Persecution persecution because of righteousness, because you're standing for mercy, because you're standing for purity of heart, you're going to be persecuted. And on the top of the ladder, you are very vulnerable. A little wind will blow you off. A little shake will blow you off or knock you off. You know, and and the jealousy of the world is such that we, you know, so much in society operate by pulling people down, rather than building people up. So when you're standing on top of the ladder, you're going to be persecuted, not for who you are, but because you're standing for a purity of, 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 of in God's eyes. And I think so often, you know, especially, and there's a kind of a trend in the church now, oh, I'm so persecuted because I'm a Christian and, and this and that. Well, if you haven't gone through these rungs of the ladder, you're, you, you haven't gotten there yet. It's not persecuted because you're trying to stand to beat people over the head with your truth. It's persecuted because you're seeking righteousness. You've been a pe- person of mercy. You have an absolutely pure motive because God's lived in you that way, and then you can be the peacemaker who, yeah, will be persecuted because you're trying to work at that level. And I think the, the, the Beatitudes are just calling us to a whole different level of, of Christian living that would impact the world in such a dramatic way if we could embrace it and live it and, and really follow this marvelous teaching that really is the, the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. It really is the core of everything Jesus taught and why Jesus came to earth to die for us. Mm -hmm. Dr. Roger Parrott is my guest, president at Belhaven University in Jackson, Mississippi. And also, as he's teaching about the Beatitudes, he's also learning a lot about ladder safety, um, which is always (laughs) helpful. We go back to Peacemaker, Roger. It it sounds active, not passive. And uh, being a peacemaker is not just removing yourself from conflict, is it? That is such an important point. Yes, it's. It, I'm so glad you emphasized that because it is active, and it, it's engaging with the world, and um, and again doing it in the name of God. So when we mess up in peacemaking, it's not our name; it's on reputation. It's God's name we're putting on reputation. So we've got to be out there. We've got to be engaged. We've got to be coming with this great desire for righteousness and mercy and purity of heart. And then when we do, I think God will bring us remarkable opportunities to be peacemakers. But so often we don't look for them because I don't think we've come up the ladder far enough to have the tools to really be effective peacemakers. Mm -hmm. And if you just say, I'm not going to cause any any riffle anywhere, so therefore I'll be a peacemaker, that's not the definition of a peacemaker, is it? No, it really is not, and and you know, and not at all. And that really brings to the to the payoff of the whole Sermon on the Mount, which is the next verse. 
And uh, the next verse says, you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And he goes on to explain that, which is, is, is fascinating. If we have time, we can, we can talk about it a little bit here. But he says, you are the salt of the earth. That means you are. Right now, wherever you are, wherever you are in your Christian life, you are the salt of the earth. It's not get prepared, someday you'll be the salt of the earth. No, right now you are, and you're in the world. You are in this world uh, to be salt, to be light. And so, yes, peacemaking, your, your point is so right on, Bill. It's not just a, I'm going to just be meek. I'm just going to pull back. I'm not going to engage. I'm just going to be quiet on the sidelines. That's not peacemaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not what God's calling us to. Yeah. So you get to this top rung, Roger, and blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And that is the place where you are at greatest risk and you are going to be attacked and you're going to have limited uh, stability in the world, but you will have the support of Christ when you're in that position always. Absolutely. And I think the way to think about it is think about standing on top of a ladder and how absolutely at risk you are. If you're not hanging on tight to God at that point, that's the only thing to hang on to. Because you can't even hang on to the ladder. You just got to hang on to the Lord. And that's where God can use us the most. Mm-hmm. So good. Dr. Roger Parrott's my guest. We're talking about the Beatitudes. We'll take a break. We'll come back and continue with him in just a minute. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. I am back with Dr. Roger Parrott, and we're talking about the Beatitudes, and this is such a great discussion. If you've missed any of this, Roger's done a beautiful job of laying this out. Definitely hear it from the the beginning at MyFaithRadio.com. Roger, now as I look at verse 13, I love you are the salt of the earth. That's very empowering, and I love that. But then it goes on to say, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. I would think there's going to be believers listening that go, "Uh uh-oh, is that me? Yeah, it could be. (laughs) You know, salt doesn't lose its flavor. Salt gets diluted. And that's why it's not any good and it gets thrown out because we get it diluted. So our faith gets diluted with other things. It gets diluted with distractions. It gets diluted with other things in our life that compete for for God's dominance in our life. And, And in that dilution is where it becomes ineffective. And uh, so I, I, I kind of like that, that Jesus gave us kind of two benchmarks here, because the second one, you can kind of get restored if that's gone out, and that's that you're the light of the world. Uh, because, you know, salt, salt is interesting, the contrast of these, because salt is pretty much unseen. You, you don't see it. You just know if it's there or not. And, um, you know, if you, if you get potato chips and they're not salty, you know it, and you can't <laughs> see the salt. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but uh, so I think Christians, when they don't know we're there, then we're getting diluted. Then we're not, you know, we're getting to the point, what difference does it make? And, uh, 
and I think that's when we've got to really reassess. And so, so I really like that Jesus gave us this other um, image at the same time, and he said, then you're the light of the world. And to me, this one even has more layers to it, because, you know, light, of course, was the first act of creation. So that was the beginning of everything. Nothing else was possible with light. You can't live, you can't grow, you can't, uh, you know, nothing functions without light. And then he says, when he created the light, he said, I, he separated the light from the darkness and this contrast. And so as I was explaining this with students and walking through it with students, I thought, you know, what does that really mean, especially in, in the life of a student and everyday Christian kind of living out and being salt and light? And so I, I asked them five questions, and, and I put them this way. I said, first, <clears throat> do you give off <clears throat> enough light as a Christian to create a contrast? Mm. And, boy, a lot of Christians don't. You know, they, they just, you just wouldn't even know they're Christian. They don't give off enough light to create a contrast. And so I think that's one benchmark. Um, kind of a second benchmark uh, I laid out, does your light make it easier for others to find the right path? Our light should be lighting their path. <clears throat> but I think, especially right now, there are a lot of Christians who are using their light to shine it in people's eyes. And all people are doing is blocking the light because it hurts. Mm -hmm. it's not doing any good. Let's shine it down and let them find their path. I mean, God's in charge of this thing. Let's let him lead them. Our job is to be a light in that path, not to try to put a spotlight on them like they're under some type of interrogation because we're Christian and they don't understand it the way we do. So, so I think that's a second question that's kind of interesting. <clears throat> um, you know, a third question that we looked at together on our campus is, <clears throat> do you link together with other lights to create transformation? And, and one light alone, of course, is, is significant, but when lights come together, uh, that's when they really transform things. And, of course, we're getting into the Christmas season when, you know, the lights go, the string of lights go up. Well, you put up one light, nobody's going to look at your house. You put up a string of light, a lot of people are going to slow down. And um, that's where we need to team with other Christians in our light and, and do things that are transformational because we're linked together. Uh, and then a fourth question that we looked at is, do um, – uh, do you light where you are now, right where you are now at this time? I, I think the image Jesus uses here is he says you're a light like a city set on a hill. Well, a city can't move. A city can't say, well, I don't like this spot. I'm going to light something else. No, a city's right there. And so you've got to light where you are. And, you know, for those who are listening, wherever you are, you're to be a light right now in this spot, not to prepare for another time to be a light, but right now to be a light. So I think we have to ask the question, are we lighting where we are? And then, and then the fifth question to me is, is really important, and that is, do you go out of your way to brighten the paths of others? Do you go out of your way to bring your light to brighten the paths of others? And... Um, you know, I had an experience several years ago. I was with my daughter in a grocery store, and um, it was it was one of those times where the place was packed, and I was in a hurry, and and the whole thing, you know. And finally, got up to the checkout counter, and 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 the the young woman who's doing the checking out, she was kind of 
flirting with the guy who's bagging, and he's kind of on his phone, and the whole thing was too slow. And so I start grabbing stuff and, you know, putting it. And she, everybody could tell I was pretty frustrated in the whole thing. We get out in the car and shut the door, and my daughter, who is wonderfully wise, and she's fabulous. She's 28 now, but, but she's about 22 at the time. We shut the door, and she said, Dad, you really messed that up. She said, you acted like they didn't even exist. She said, your whole generation acts like the people in the aprons don't exist. And I said, what aprons? I never saw the aprons. And I realized that people in the service industry, in restaurants, in grocery stores, and in other places, they almost always wear aprons. And so I started from that day looking for people of apron with aprons. I want to be a light in their life. I want to be a light that encourages them, that lifts up something for them. And so I try to go out of my way for the people in the aprons. And this is a you know, guy who didn't even realize they had aprons on, the people who, who serve so many of us. And so I think that, to me, is a really important question. Do we go out of our way to brighten the path of others? So many in the Christian life, well, yeah, we'll show them the light if they happen to bump into us. But we're not going out looking for finding ways to brighten the lives of others. And so, you know, this whole salt and light image is kind of the the capstone of the Beatitudes, but then it leads to one more, which is the big payoff. And this is the big payoff of the whole thing. Uh, Jesus said, in the same way, after you're being salt and light, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So we don't earn our way to to God by our good deeds. There's nothing we can do, as Yancey says so well, for God to love us more, and nothing we can do for God to love us less. But we're to let our good deeds shine as salt and light so that everybody will see our and praise our Heavenly Father. So the good deeds are not so they'll praise us. The good deeds are so people will find God. And that's the purpose for climbing this ladder of fulfillment, to get to the point that we really can be salt and light and that our good deeds will show so that people will see God in us and be brought to God. And and to me, this whole image of up this ladder fulfillment for the purpose, for the calling, for the reach of being salt and light so people will see God is is really a incredible way to look at the Christian life. And then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is just the explanation of all that. Roger, it's really a great illustration of faith because I was talking to a friend of mine because I was going to go up on my roof on Saturday and measure something. And I, I said to him, I called him. I had the ladder up against my house. And I called him. I said, do you ever go up on your roof? He goes, oh, no, no, no. I, I don't go up on my roof. Exactly. <laughs> and I said, all right, that settles it. I'm not going up on my roof roof either. He goes, you know, you slip in your bathroom and people feel sorry for you, but if you fall off a ladder, they go, what was he doing on a ladder? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, they sure do. I got a faculty member right now who's had a horrible fracture from being up on one. No, you don't want to go up on one unless you go up on with purpose and you know what you're doing. And I think that's why, you know, as we come to these beatitudes, why Jesus takes us one rung at a time. I mean, somebody who's experienced with a ladder, they know how to go right up and down. I had my my house re-roofed not too long ago. They just go up and down that ladder like it's nothing. But they have years of experience.
focus on it. And I think that's why Jesus says one at a time, Bill, you made a really smart decision to not go up on your roof. I know. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> I know. I think my point was that you've got this spiritual metaphor that if you are going to go up the spiritual fulfillment ladder and you get to the top, it is going to be scary and dangerous, but God is going to be with you every step of the way. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've got a fascinating uh, chapel uh, series going on at, at your university, and thanks for taking time to share it today. Oh, I've been a treat. Thank yeah. you so much, Bill. Thank what you so treat. much. Dr. Roger Parrott has been my guest. He's the president of Bellhaven University in Jackson, Mississippi, and awfully glad to have him on the program. If you missed any of today's show, I do recommend always heading over to MyFaithRadio.com. You can check out the podcast and make sure you hear this episode from the beginning because we did our did our work on the Beatitudes today, which is in Matthew chapter 7. But that is our show for the day. And uh, thank you so much for supporting Faith Radio. Thank you for being friends of Faith Radio. Thank you for uh, caring about us because we love you and we want you to come to faith in Christ and we want you to grow in your faith. We want you to come here every day to uh, understand more of what God's Word teaches and that you will uh, grow to know Him more deeply and love Him more and that you can go out and be salt and light in a very broken and troubled world. And you can then share your joy, and your hope that you have in Christ with others, and you can light their path and show them the way to the cross and the resurrected Savior. Have a great night, everyone. I will see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.